Welcome to South London Hardcore. Coming to you in a difficult time. Quarantine. It's like Good Morning Vietnam. My name is Jack McEnroy. My co-host is Steve Walsh. Hello. Coming all the way from Ireland, Steve, aren't you? Over, That's right. Over the Skype. Uh, they're not airwaves, are they? What is it? A lead under the sea? No, no, it's a satellite, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, Steve, one thing about... Uh, so, listen, let's just set the scene, actually. The coronavirus has sort of taken hold, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, it's sort of turned into War of the Worlds as we speak, isn't it? This podcast, the also Worlds version. I mean, um, <laughs> we are. We have the Prime Minister has just announced the sort of the first sort of lockdown, really. Um, and one thing during this lockdown is that people are very quick to sort of show some sort of faux generosity, aren't they? Oh, guys, I'm, I'm putting my whole podcast archive up for free during the coronavirus time. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> you know, like, oh, guys, I've got this six out of ten piece of work that nobody ever really was interested in. But, you know, if you want it, I just want to do my part, you know. Of course, the thing is, uh, our generosity isn't limited to times of international crisis. It's just universal, isn't it? All of our shows, all of our episodes are available for free at holdfastnetwork.com all the time. This is going to be, looking at my new, my uh, at my notes here, I mean, this is largely from autumn 2019, so, you know, the, the world <laughs> coming to an end, we'll give you a snapshot of what it was like in South, South London a few months before. <laughs> you know, I've actually got a bit, potentially, uh, from 2018, so we can, we can, you know, go back. I mean, that was probably the last time we did a, a local news episode, so uh, it's, it's essentially just us carrying on from where we left off. And Steve, I can actually beat that by three years when... <laughs> You know when you click on a section of a news website? Yeah. Like funny news. Yeah, yeah. And three items down, there was something... I got really excited about this news item and then saw it was from 2015, so we may have even covered it before. (laughs) So as you say, we've got the coronavirus happening right now, and obviously the news media is completely awash with it because, you know, what else are you going to cover? And the thing that sort of we've always noticed with sort of local news outlets down the years is... They, they're sort of desperate for clicks, aren't they? Des- they're sort of reliant on advertising money, so they're just, like, desperate for clicks. So, you know, they will sort of allude to things that aren't necessarily part of the story. And I read um, on the Southwark News website, so this is the headline, four arrested after concealing boozing clothes at SE1 Sainsbury's during coronavirus crisis. And I saw the headline, and I was like, okay, so what's happened? And then you read it and go, uh, shoplifting. Shoplifting is what's happened, isn't it? Like, some people stole some alcohol, but happened to do it while this is going on. But not, there was nothing directly related to the coronavirus or the surrounding crisis, other than the fact that these people are committing a crime. And I was like, why is, why have they framed it like that? And I was like, oh, it just makes the headline more clickable, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, you know, I go to Sainsbury's, right? And... A Tony's Chocolate Lonely. Do you know that chocolate bar? I don't. It's £3.50. It's from Holland, Jess. Yes. Really right, nice right, one. right. You know, so when you're going around with your self-service scanner, you know, you just get to put stuff straight in your bag now. They don't know what you scan. <laughs> they don't know what you scan. You flush the thing. On the CCTV, it looks like you've scanned the barcode. You've got your finger over the barcode. Well, I'm going to change my shopping habits because there's a virus. One, anything, one, one arrested bars. after concealing <laughs> chocolate in clothes at SE1 Sainsbury's during coronavirus. 
yeah, it was just like it was a very weird uh, sort of thing to sort of think about, and I was like, oh, this is the sort of it's not fake news really, but it's more sort of like clickbait. Yeah, and a bit sort of manipulation, and and it's sort of like you know. It's, it's quite a serious situation. Like, don't be flagging up stories about some people shoplifting and trying to tie it into this massive international crisis. That seems weird. Yeah. You know, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure that every weekend someone has stolen some booze from Sainsbury's in New Kent Road. But, like, now suddenly it's like page one of your website because you've put the word coronavirus in the headline. Similarly, I think we've got to be aware of people sort of using the crisis to their own ends or perhaps presenting their actions through the crisis as being uh, heroic and selfless when in fact and you know just to give you an example here um the first sort of story that popped up was the fact that um peter john of Southern council was resigning and uh I, i saw the headline it was like peter john hales decade of delivery in resignation letter after stepping down as Southwark Council leader. And I was like, I mean, it's a decade of delivery, but a lot of what was delivered was massive profits to property companies, wasn't it? I mean... Maybe they could have gone with Southwark finally virus-free if they wanted to get in on the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's an update to that story. Um, just last week, the headline is, in quotes, This is war says Southwark Council leader, as he stays on to battle coronavirus crisis. Ah. So Peter John has selflessly withdrawn his resignation and stayed on to battle against the coronavirus. I don't know what form he thinks that's going to yeah. take, some sort of uppercut or chop to its neck. He's probably carrying it, isn't he? He's probably like Marco Rubio, <laughs> uh, just like swimming <laughs> in the Senate pool while he waits for his results. <laughs> just all over Tooley Street. His filthy, money-grubbing hands <laughs> getting coronavirus over the door handles. But it's being framed very much within the press as uh, this sort of selfless gesture where he's going to stay on for continuity and whatnot. Whereas in reality, you're like, yeah, probably not a good time to go into the private sector, given the fact that everything economically is up in the air. Probably best to hang on with your guaranteed government money and uh, pension. You know, We predicted years ago with the whole Elephant Castle thing that he'd be going on to the board of a property company uh, as soon as it became more profitable than being the leader of Southwark Council. And it sort of like felt like last autumn that was probably the time. And now it's not. He's like, oh, I'm, this is war. <laughs> you know, I can't I can't leave. Mm. You know, okay. I don't know how you think selling off property uh, for a song to property developers is going to help us stop coronavirus. But, you know, everyone's got their strategies. So, yeah, uh, that was the first thing that sort of like cropped up for me looking at the headlines was the fact that this crisis is happening and you've kind of got local news media and uh, politicians kind of turning it to their own ends a little bit. Mm. It's, it's very... See, I think, you know, let people just be aware of that. I mean, James Daunt, who runs the uh, bookshop we used to work in, which whose name we won't say. <laughs> the thing you know. is, like, if we say it now, like, it's already trending on Twitter for horrific employment practices. So mm. I don't think there's anything we can say that's going to really uh, make more of a dent than that. Yeah, the opportunism, though, isn't it? Yeah. So I've got a stealing story, Steve. You know, link trying, okay. trying to link back to your previous item. Police foil attempt to steal Rembrandt works from Dulwich Picture Gallery. Did you read about this? I think I remember it vaguely, Mm. but I wouldn't know the details. So this is uh, in November 2019. Right. 
Um, so someone attempted to steal two Rembrandt paintings. Uh, they had a big Rembrandt exhibition at the time. And then two officers, I'm not sure how they got there so quickly, but tried to stop the geezer. He sprayed something, some an unknown substance in their faces. Uh, and he got away, but they found the paintings in a bush. When you say stole two paintings, I immediately, I think because I read sort of like, you know, obviously comics as a kid, I immediately go to some sort of like Beano Dandy Wizard and Chips style image of a thief literally with two yeah. ornately framed paintings, one under each arm. <laughs> and I was like, if he'd just gone for one, he might have made yeah. it. But I mean, he's done himself now. But I imagine it was more when you see sort of heist films on TV, it's more them. Uh, getting the old Stanley knife out, cutting the painting out and rolling it up in it. Yeah, it's probably one of those. There were, were a huge amount of details. What was interesting, though, is that Rembrandt's portrait of uh, Jacob de Gain, is that how you pronounce it? The third. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it, which, is, which belongs to uh, the Dulles Picture Gallery. Um, it's, it's Guinness Book of Records is the most stolen work of art, having been stolen four times. Really? From the Dulles Picture Gallery. <laughs> so one one time um, it was found on the back of a bicycle. Another time I think they caught the guy immediately afterwards. Another time it was the guy got away and they found it in a left luggage office in Germany. And then one <laughs> and one time it was it was left under a bench in a graveyard in Streatham. <laughs> so I, I don't know what I don't know what they're doing over there. <laughs> uh, getting very lucky, it sounds like. I, I like the idea that the fella went to steal whatever the other painting was, and then while he was there, he was like, do you know what? How can I not? Might, might as well. <laughs> it's a fine tradition of stealing that particular uh, painting. Do they just lean it up against uh, the wall by the door, do you reckon? <laughs> just sort of ready to go. So here's a story that goes the other way, Steve. You probably saw this scene as it was a uh, penge-based. <laughs> a musician reunited with 310-year-old violin after leaving it on train. Did you see that? No, I didn't hear this, no. Stephen Morris from Sydenham. He's a professional musician who plays with the London Philharmonic. Apparently played with Bowie before. And um, uh, who was the other person? I didn't write it down. Stevie Wonder. I wasn't into Stevie Wonder enough to write his name down. Um, (laughs) So he left left this 300-year-old violin worth a quarter of a million pounds on a uh, southeastern train. And in the New York Times, they refer to Penge as be it, it was at Penge East where he got off. New York Times refers to it as Southeastern London. I think they probably read the name of the train uh, <laughs> train company <laughs> and mixed the two up. I'd like to think there's someone in the office going. Uh, I listen to this podcast. It's called Southeastern London Hardcore, <laughs> and it is. <laughs> so anyway, so they put they checked the CCTV on the trains, and you know they put a thing, the police put a thing out. A bit aggressive, I thought, man, like that. Uh, and then the guy sort of DM'd and they met in a Beckenham, Beckenham car park and he gave he gave the violin back. And there's this whole thing about no further action was taken. The guy left it on the train, another guy picked it up, in it? Like, acting as if, like, you've left, you've left it. The sub-editor's like, uh, I mean, no further action could be taken. Yeah. This, is not a, this is not a crime. So the guy, right, he gets it back. Guy is, like, over the moon, obviously. Um, like he put a picture of up himself kissing it. You know, probably shouldn't be doing that with an antique. But um, so the first song, he said the first song he played when he got it back, "Amazing Grace." What a nerd move, man! <laughs> That's what you're playing. Will you be busting out some like who's the like equivalent of Hendrix? Vanessa May. 
I was going to say, what's he supposed to do? Like, bring your daughter to the slaughter? <laughs> I'd probably play something off of um, Desire. You know, hot chilli peppers in the blistering sun. Something like that. <laughs> Romans and Durango. <laughs> Hurricane. He's there uh, doing amazing grace. Leave it on the train, fella. <laughs> Wasted on him. So, talking of things that aren't crimes... Here's a headline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, this could be any story, couldn't it? But um, yeah. you'll, you'll see what I mean. So I'm going to read part of the headline and then read the rest of the headline and let that sink in. SE1 Bookshop fined for selling knife to 15-year-old boy. Okay. Yeah, okay. Let me, let me finish. As part of model-making kit. <laughs> so a sales assistant at the uh, Ian Allen Book and Model Shop in Waterloo... Sold oh, on, on the on yeah, the the, yeah. That, that one you've seen it like and it's probably been there for for donkeys years, isn't it? Mm. So this kid comes in uh, and buys a model making kit, and there's a knife in the model making kit because sometimes you need blades to cut models and out of sprues and whatnot and trim. Um, but unknown to the retailer, the 15 year old is part of a test operation run by Lambeth Trading Standards. Little grass, and that little knock yeah, comes in to buy a model making kit. So here's the thing: this is what kills me about this thing. I just uh, like, firstly, what I would say is I have no idea about the logistics of knife crime in South London or London or the UK. What I would say is I'd love to see the figures on the amount of crimes that they have seen committed, where they can trace back the weapons to model making kits. Yeah. Like, there are knives out there, in it? Like, but very few of them, I would argue, were sourced from a model shop in Waterloo. Secondly, and this is the horrific bit for me, the company, uh, the, 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 the shop itself, right, was fined £5,000, has to pay prosecution oh, costs of 1460 and a victim surcharge of £181. So they have to pay out the victim surcharge. Who's the victim? Well, no, the victim surcharge, I looked that up, and I was like, unless she's... And the thing is, this is a good idea. Victim surcharge is basically, for this sort of thing, a certain amount of money goes to the Criminal Injuries Compensation Board for people who are victims of life crime. The the £181, I have no problem with whatsoever. By all means, if you've made a mistake selling a knife, and I would say um, an independent model-making shop could probably... You know, take a slap on the wrist and go, sorry about that. Let's give you £181 this. Prosecution costs, grand and a half. So that's just lawyers getting paid. Five grand. That's the sort of thing that will just... And this is before any coronavirus crisis, you know, obviously hitting retail and uh, the economy in general. But, yeah, that bookshop has had to pay out seven grand because someone sold a model-making kit to a kid and didn't think, oh, he's probably going to go out. And you know, he's probably. I mean, how old you have to be to buy a model knife? I'd imagine probably eighteen. Six, I guess. I'd, sixteen, not 16 maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So this this guy is two weeks away from being old enough to get married. Yeah. And he can't buy a craft knife. The thing is, if you just wait until you're sixteen, can you join the army then? <laughs> get free knife there. Yeah. And then the the government will give you a gun and teach you how to kill people at that point. But that's and that's fine. But God help you if you want to, you know, put together a, uh, you know. A model railway kit of the South Downs or something. I've got a story about armed police, Steve. Do you think that's uh, that sort of fits, <laughs> it? This is the one from 2015. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was confused. I'll tell you what confused me is because 
it was from it's from the website this is local london and it's got at the top hashtag there with you <laughs> which is that uh, have you seen all local papers like hang on a minute we might not go out of business if people think they need right, to read right, right. us and that made me think oh this is brand new and eventually i saw it's five years old <laughs> but it kind of uh i don't know it kind of there's a reason why that's kind of useful at the end. So armed police storm Hivergreen House after actors' rehearsal sparks gun fears. Did we ever cover this? I don't think so, no. I don't think so, did we? No. So four West End actors in Hivergreen had the surprise of their life on Friday, five years ago. <laughs> as armed... <laughs> Once. <laughs> as uh, armed police uh, were called, 15 armed police turned up after neighbours repeatedly heard someone pleading for their life. <laughs> But they were just rehearsing for uh, they were as guy was rehearsing for a role in um Carol the Carol King musical Beautiful. So I mean that's validation, isn't it? Your acting is so good that fifteen armed police came. Yeah, you'd be terrified and then just like overjoyed, wouldn't you? You'd be like and like you'd I, I'd imagine you could probably leave for that going to like other auditions. You just sort of like drop it as an anecdote, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Last time we were rehearsing, uh, someone was so convinced they did call the police, and uh... yeah. And, uh, and the funny thing is, I actually uh, didn't get the part. <laughs> so you know, because it's five years ago, I got a chance to look up the actors and see if they actually are good. Oh yeah. You know, if that was the only time they have had any success, and it wasn't. Simon Gordon. He's currently in Girl from the North Country. Right. The uh, Bob Dylan musical that um, I saw it in South London, actually, at the Old Vic Theatre. It's not there anymore. It's somewhere in the West End, isn't it? And they've just, it's just opened on Broadway, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But he's, I think he's the understudy. Right. But he's, um, he's in, currently in it in the West End. And Joel Harper Jackson is in Kinky Boots. Oh, okay. So those, fe- the fellas have done, I imagine they've done well enough for themselves that they no longer have to live in Hivergreen. <laughs> Steve, I wrote, I saw this headline, I put it down, and I, I'm, I'm so bored with it now, I don't think there's anything to say, but I'm just going to read it, and you maybe you'll just riff, maybe like Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, Battersea Bridge Whale found motionless on shore. So what would you say, if that came on Wikipedia, oh, you ever been down Battersea, Steve? <laughs> I'm being Mickey now. <laughs> you ever seen a bridge whale? Well, I've never seen a bridge whale down Battersea. <laughs> <laughs> it was so it was a mink a mink is it pronounced a mink m-i-n-k-e yeah mink i think oh yeah. that's how i'd always read it yeah discovered by a dog walker right so i'm assuming dead at this point motionless yes oh yeah i should have said yeah it was dead man but motionless is a weird it is a choice weird one, of word isn't it do you know like, what do you know what i might be looking at um there was like several, you know, where they follow up the news story. Might be right, motionless right, right. update. It's still motionless and will be for, <laughs> for the foreseeable future. So let's move on from that, Steve, because I've got another. Um, uh, I wish I knew some zoological terms, man. It's about animals. <laughs> <laughs> so I sent you this one with, I sent you this link, didn't I? And it said, "Local news special: Developer proposes turning London gas holder into alligator park." Oh yes. Um, so the grade two listed Victorian gas holder, uh, that one of the ones in Old Kent Road, you know, the uh, raw iron cylindrical lattices. That yeah, we, uh, yeah. We all remember from our childhoods. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, built by George Libsey, actually. We talked about him, didn't we, when we did, uh, probably the Old Kent Road episode, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, no music, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, it was the, the Livesey Museum. Was up there, oh, okay. of course. Actually, yes. actually, you know what? It might be on New, New Crossroad, but you know, it's the same road, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's the biggest gas holder in the world when it was constructed, apparently. And it's being obviously converted into flats, or you know, they're building flats around it. Yeah. And in the middle, they want to make it into a feature. You know, they've obviously scraped to listed. They're forced to keep it going. But um, did you read the story? No, I didn't. I uh, yeah, I sort of uh, I took it as a springboard for this episode, but never actually considered that you'd include it. Yeah, I mean, they talked about. Uh, they said you know have a visitor centre and uh, you know educational facilities, and it was all. Uh, it sort of ended with. Uh, I wish I'd written down the quote now, but some kind of comment from the developers like, you know, we'll have to check with uh, see if it's safe with like psychologists <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> so it's just a sort of. Blatant headline grab. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're not. They're not putting an alligator park in the old Kent Road, are they? Of course they're not. No, certainly but, not. Part as part of like some sort of mixed use residential <laughs> conversion. Okay. Like uh, yeah, the alligators yeah. have got out again. <laughs> but you know, the most obviously the most ridiculous part of the whole thing is that they're claiming that forty uh, percent of the houses will be affordable. <laughs> Way here we go. Here we go. Have a good news for you in it. <laughs> The headline is Thornton Heath Man to become King of African Land. Wow. It's a remarkable story from start to finish. I love it. And I'm gonna start with I mean the headline's incredible, but the the man the the monarch, if you will, at the centre of this story is called Dwayne Coward. Which is like uh every time I read his name I'm like I feel like I'm reading a Kurt Vonnegut novel. Do you know what I mean? It's um yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's Dwayne D W A I N it's um yeah so Dwayne Coward, a lawyer from Thornton Heath, hopes to become king of a land between Egypt and Sudan known as Bir Tawil. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. B I R B I R T A W I L. It's a fascinating story, though. I mean, it, it's, uh, according to the story, it's a piece of arid desert about 60 miles long and 30 miles wide, the only unclaimed habitable territory in the world. Wow. Yeah. So uh, this is uh, Dwayne's take on it, and it is, it's quite rousing and inspirational. It'll be a bog-standard hereditary monarchy, said the 41-year-old. <laughs> I, have, I have a male heir and a female second in line. Oh, that's hilarious, man. <laughs> Bog a bog standard. Standard. <laughs> hereditary monarchy. Um, oh, that's hilarious. But yeah, as you'd imagine, um, you know, uh, <laughs> fascinating place. But yeah, uh, so uh, there's so many great details in this story. Um, diplomatic correspondence from Dwayne's planned kingdom is headed the great office of the king of beer to will, Dwayne I, with the address of the interchange... 81 to 85 Station Road, Croydon, CR02RD. <laughs> oh, that's funny, man. Uh, he had a coronation ceremony, uh, which took place in a church hall in Thornton Heath. And apparently, it, it, it's looking good for him. Two previous attempts to claim the kingdom failed. Uh, first up, a Russian DJ, and then an American farmer from Virginia, both claimed the land. But, lawyer Dwayne said... Nobody has succeeded in establishing the criteria for a new state under international law. So these two guys that went, yeah, yeah, this is us. But what you have to do is create a constitution with a system of government. You have to establish diplomatic relations and uh, establish a permanent population. So Dwayne leapt into action, 
because a Lebanese group called the Kingdom of the Yellow Mountain made an attempt last September to claim the land. They met most of the criteria, uh, including uh, voting in uh, or or, uh, naming a prime minister, but they forgot to name a king or write a constitution, which is a big blunder, isn't it? Imagine uh, establishing who the prime minister is, but not what your constitution is. Like, how do you know how to get to your prime minister if you haven't got a constitution? Are you sure this is not an episode of The Goon Show, Steve? (laughs) Uh, So, King-elect Dwayne said, uh, constitutional law is quite strict. I mean, most law is. If you say you're a state, then effectively you are, but no one will recognise you. That is uh, crucial. After the ceremony, I will apply for membership of the United Nations and do everything I can to assist refugees from Sudan or anyone else in need in the area. Now, this guy, you know, it sounds like a sort of crazy thing, but it's not his first uh, brush with authority. Um, Dwayne's only previous bid for high office was standing for election to Croydon Council in 2014. He came 12th with 171 votes. He said, I didn't do so well at local level, so I'm stepping up to international level. <laughs> Imagine not getting in to a local council thing and going, I'll probably just have to become a king now, I suppose, isn't it? I've got no other option. So, yeah, he's um, he's establishing his day, inviting people to uh, move in and uh, will need a permanent population for his claim to stick. The interesting thing as well is uh, he hasn't actually visited Africa at all, let alone this actual place. So we'll see. I mean, he he wants a population, but isn't actually moving from Croydon to help the numbers. Don't fancy his chances, Steve. (laughs) I've got another story. It's uh, also got some international relations, uh, got that kind of dimension to it. Tesco charity cards packed by China's prison slaves. Have you seen this story? Oh, yes. I did. I read about this. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realise there was a South London connection. Oh, Oh, big time. <laughs> good, good. And that's just up the road from uh, from from Dwayne Howard, uh, Coward even. <laughs> In a Santa hat contained a despairing message from a Chinese gulag. We are foreign prisoners in Shanghai Qingpu Prison. The message read in capital letters, forced to work against our will. Please help us and notify human rights organisations. I mean, it's pretty uh, pretty chilling stuff, isn't it, for a six-year-old? I mean, I would argue that if I opened that card, I'd still be a bit shook, to be fair. But, yeah, as you say, for a six-year-old. I mean, she probably didn't understand, I suppose, did she? Yeah, I mean, they sort of tracked it down and it was all... Uh, you know, people just treated like appallingly in this prison, and they have to like pack post-its and stuff. This guy, they covered the seat, the uh, security cameras. Guy snuck some some cards into his uh, shirt, right? Wrote them in his cell, and then when he got back into the uh, into the workshop, slipped them in. Slipped them into the ones that are going to England, right? And luckily, little Florence. I mean, you've got to imagine like there's a lot of parents that would have Keisha. <laughs> Quarantine food. <laughs> Very fabric softener. Fabric really going to need that when Lemons the uh, and planting chips. Planting chips important. Um, what thing sounded boring? 
More Lakeisha in it. Hashtag more Lakeisha. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like convinced. <laughs> hashtag where's the vaccine? <laughs> so scouring the local news websites from the west of Ireland uh, to put together a local news roundup for South London. Obviously, it's a bit of a challenge. But one thing did leap out at me, um, this being March, of course, you have St. Patrick's Day. Very, uh, obviously, low-key affair this year over here. No parades, all the kids are out of school, so there's no sort of um, assemblies or art shows or anything. So it's all all very, very quiet. Um, but yeah, while I was looking through one of the um, websites, the New Shopper website, always always a favourite, always yeah, a good one. that's one. That's why I didn't go there. I knew you would, Stephen. You would. <laughs> the uh, the headline uh, leapt out at me: St Patrick's Day, ten things the Irish have done for us. Hmm. But then it was only after uh, rereading it I realised it said St Patrick's Day, twenty eighteen, ten things the Irish have done for us. So it's not current, but then none of the things in it are. So anything Irish people have done for us in the last two years is not included. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> otherwise it'd be twenty things, um, but yeah, they're sort of. But the thing is that I found uh, fascinating about is well, we'll get into it. So I'm going to format in a couple of ways. So I'm going to give you five of the things, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a choice of three things and get you to guess which of those three things are things the Irish have done for you. Yeah, would I lie to you? Sort of, sort of, yeah. There's certainly a, a game show format to it. Are you ready for number one? Yes. Flavoured crisps, baked potatoes, or potato waffles? Oh, interesting. The potato waffles strike me as being American. Okay. Flavoured crisps. I don't know. I thought you guys liked your, your potatoes quite plain. I'm going to go for baked potatoes. Okay, we uh, interesting you should say that because the answer is flavored crisps. Really, t- the potatoes. first potatoes, yeah, potatoes were the world's ever fir- world's first ever flavored crisps. The interesting thing though is, um, and what was it? What was the flavor? Cheese, Plain. cheese, and onion, cheese, and onion. Wow. Yeah. Cheese and onion. Cheese. They just, well, it started you know with both, and they never separated. They did. Um, the uh, the guy at Tato uh, did. He put. He did cheese crisps, onion crisps, Patrick and cheese and onion crisps. <laughs> Do you know what? He's, he's, the guy's nickname was Spud. So, you know, that makes sense, doesn't <laughs> it? Um, but the interesting thing for me is, like, Tato developed cheese and onion crisps, but then that was it. Like, initially, they didn't do any other flavours. Obviously, other wow. crisp companies did pick up. We, and... did a, we don't need a second flavour. <laughs> But the thing is now, even to this day, like if you say to people, if people in Ireland say uh, a bag of Tato, what they mean is cheese and onion crisps, a bag of really? Tato brand. Yeah, like, mm. Tato is so synonymous with cheese and onion as a flavour that a bag of Tato generally means uh, Tato cheese and onion crisps. I mean, they've, they've realised their mistake now and do all sorts, you know. But, um, yes, yeah, so a flavoured crisps you can thank uh, the Irish for. Um, thank you. Number two. Uh, the sewing machine, the tattoo machine, or the candy floss machine. Can we just get another read on how you pronounce tattoo, Steve? Do you know what? I think I sort of uh, 
<laughs> I went for it. I went for it as if I was saying Tatooine from Star Wars and just cut off the E, didn't I? <laughs> so, <laughs> so what was it? The sewing machine. The sewing machine. The tattoo machine. <laughs> the tattoo machine. Uh, or the candy floss machine. Uh, I'll go with the candy floss. The tattoo machine. Apparently, tattoo. I'm still I'm still not sure about tattoo. <laughs> tattoo. Tattoo. <laughs> tattoo. Um, but this is where um, this list I find a bit dubious. Uh, there's a you know there's always a, a I think in any sort of nationality or ethnic group there's a, a sort of desire to sort of claim things on tenuous sort of links, and the man who invents it is called Samuel O'Reilly, but he was in New York. So, ah, do you know what I mean? This is the thing. It's sort of like, you don't need to be, you know, I think he was born in, like, New Hampshire. So it's not sort of, you know, <laughs> don't be sort of grabbing yeah. at things. Um, so the next one, uh, I'll give you a choice of the Taj Mahal, the White House, or Sydney Opera House. Uh, I mean, the Taj Mahal is such a ridiculous one. Is that the sort of trick? <laughs> I'm gonna go with Sydney Opera House. Yeah, I thought you might. You see, because uh, because subconsciously thinking, you're thinking of Irish people as convicts, which is like you know fair enough. A lot of them were transported, <laughs> but you're wrong. It's the White House, which was designed. The architect was a man called James Hoban, who was born in Kilkenny. So even though he'd moved wow. to America, he was born in Kilkenny. Uh, so that. that seems legitimate, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Okay, next one: the U.S. Navy, the Argentinian Navy. Or the Irish Navy. <laughs> Be What's careful. The land- Be careful. What's the country that's landlocked, Steve? Tell me a landlocked country. You should have done that. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with the Irish Navy. I mean, you're correct. But it's a trick question. <laughs> Because the answer is oh, the answer is all of them. Yes, the, uh, a man called uh, John Barry from County Wexford um, is seen as the father of the U.S. Navy. The U.S. Navy is the one that they credited uh, in the article, wow. but um, the Argentinian Navy was also uh, founded by an Irish expat as well. So this guy just went around setting up navies. Different guy, different guy. But like, yeah, Irish people like just the, going around like the monorail, monorail salesman. <laughs> yeah. I like the idea of like Irish people just travelling in the Americas going, have you got a navy? Because like, we can, pr- <laughs> we know the principles. Guns on boats, pretty much. Yeah, soldiers and guns on boats. Um, similarly, uh, this one's a bit of a, a tricky one as well. But I'm going to give you options of the submarine, the torpedo, or scuba suits. Submarine, torpedo. The thing is, not being funny, Steve, yeah? Yeah. You know, I grew up where all the jokes, the punchline was that Irish people were not intelligent. Yeah. And I, I thought I'd shaken that off. But now, every time you say this, I'm expecting you to say, like, you know, like the pop gun or something at the end. <laughs> you know. Um, so, torpedo. What was, the, what was the other one? The submarine. Or two. The yeah. torpedo or scuba suits. I'll go with scuba suits, man. It's easiest, isn't it? Do you know what the, you're wrong, but do you know what's really interesting? That yeah. was the only king, incorrect option. Because both the submarine and the yeah, torpedo yeah. were invented by Irish people. Well, I mean, wow. this is another one where they're sort of... They, they, they've they credited the submarine to 
um, John P. Holland from Liscannor in County Clare. And interestingly, the inventor of the torpedo is not only Irish, he's also from uh, Castle Bar. There you go. Got a mural of him uh, down in the town. Um, so now, um, for the other five, I'm just going to tell you what they are. But yeah. uh, I'm going to do it in increasingly ludicrous order, just so you can see. <laughs> where they like were just like desperate to, to stretch it out to ten, I don't know. So, Guinness? Cu- <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, a cure for leprosy, which sounds ridiculous, but it was actually a doctor from Cork who... Uh, developed the medicine that uh, cured leprosy. Um, the steam yeah. turbine, a uh, guy from Offaly, developed the uh, technology to let steam be converted into electricity. This one's tenuous, I would say. So they've credited Los Angeles <laughs> to an Irishman. On the basis what that... What mean? Well, William Mulholland of, I would guess, Mulholland Drive. Mulholland Drive. Yeah. yeah. Um, was the engineer who developed the water system for Los Angeles. And the idea is, like, without that, you couldn't have a city, which is kind of... But I'm like, that's tenuous, isn't it? You can't say yeah, Los very, Angeles very, because of that. Yeah. Um, here's a headline. Splitting the atom, they've gone with, for uh, Irish people. Wow. And who did that? Remind me who did that. Steve? Ernest Walton of Dungarvan. But not on his own, but, isn't it? It's one of those things. You can't sort of go, yeah. that guy split the atom. Um, but isn't it, who's the kind of headline scientist for it? Is it him? Uh, no, uh, is it Ruff- No, is it Rutherford or is that DNA? But anyway, it, it's certainly not like Ernie from Dungarvan and on his own splitting an atom. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, let's just calm down a oh, bit. You split that atom, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we've managed to get your uh, faux Irish accent into the show itself. Yeah. Which, this makes it work well. Um, but then the best one, just as a thing. So I was reading this list and I'm like submarine flavored crisps i'm like okay it's like steam turbine los angeles splitting the atom modern economics they've gone with <laughs> and who's that now uh, richard that's, uh that's a joke if anyone thinks i'm a moron clarify richard Cantlin from kerry uh wrote a sort of like very influential book on economics in terms of, but they're like oh it influenced adam smith wealth of nations i'm like yeah but that that's not all of modern economics. Anyway, yeah, it seemed very sort of uh, tenuous. But just to sort of bring it back to our core idea, you were saying about the idea of, um, uh, you know, growing up, the joke was that Irish people were thick. That is not something that escapes the comment section on the New Shopper website. <laughs> uh, and it, it's beautiful. It's like what a, are people it, saying, like, uh, chocolate teapot? It's, like it's a work of art, because, like, the first guy's like, uh, I remember... Uh, you know, years ago, you could uh, you could tell jokes about an English Irishman and Scotsman. No one was offended, and I thought people were offended. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they're sort of like, uh, you know, uh, do do gooders took that away. I'm like, yeah, do good. That's what people do, and good people are doing good. Take away bad things. Um, but the best one um, was uh, there was one woman who uh, commented when um, you know uh, I I blame baby boomers. Their forefathers fought in wars, and all they do is sit around and whinge. And I was like, nice millennials that you're thinking of, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. oh, baby boomers. You can't just choose a, a, you know, an age group from a time. <laughs> um, but yeah, basically, 
uh, after this weird list of uh, things that Irish people were kind of something to do with, and not all of them were Irish, and not all of them were things they had to do with, um, it just turns into a big discussion about how you can't even call the Irish thick anymore, essentially, <laughs> and uh, and how that political correctness yeah. gone mad because it's the comment section on the New Shopper website, so of course it's people uh, complaining about not being able to use, uh, you know, racist uh, and ethnic slurs. Well, Steve, um, before we wrap up, can I just sort of uh, bring it back to South London from Ireland? Yeah, sure. So I've been listening to some old shows. I didn't do that at the time. Obviously, I edited the shows, so I'd listen to them after we'd recorded them a few days later or whatever it was. Um, uh, But recently, I listened to, you know, eight or nine episodes for my own entertainment, bizarrely. And to listen to the 10 worst South Londoners episode, a good one, I think. It's got some good clips of some appalling people saying appalling things <laughs> and whatnot. But um, before, just, it's funny because I had sent, I've, I was listening to uh, the audiobook for Louis Ferroux's autobiography, and it was like heavily South London. And I will even go so far as to say, now that David Bowie is uh, no longer with us, that Louis Ferroux might be my number one fantasy guest for the show South London Hardcore. If he, if you're listening, Louis, I mean, I would second that. You're more than welcome to come on the show. Yeah. Just to clarify, not Louis Peckham. If you're listening, <laughs> just... <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome anytime too. So in the book, and maybe it was actually in the actual Michael Jackson documentary, but he has this sort of rivalry. It's played for last, really. But he has this rivalry with Martin Bashir. Yes. Um, uh, who's get who gets the Michael Jackson interview that he wants. And so I looked up Michael my, uh, Martin Bashir, it turns out he's from South London, and sent you a message saying, Steve, we should get Martin Bashir on. And you was like, yeah, why not? Or something like that. And then then I'll turn that episode on the 10 worst South Londoners. We've got Martin Bashir in there. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't know, no recollection of it whatsoever. I was like, oh, wicked, he's from South London. We can interview him. No, we've already included him in between, like, Kelvin McKenzie and uh, Jake Goody, or whatever it was. You've sort of uh, skipped over one of the best bits in uh, that Mark, Michael Jackson uh, documentary, which isn't just the fact that like Louis Theroux has this sort of secret rivalry with Martin Bashir over getting the interview with Michael Jackson, but the fact that Yuri Geller operates yeah. as a middleman who gets Martin Bashir yeah. the interview and then feels betrayed by him. And there's that great bit where Louis sort of goes back to Yuri Geller's house and he's like, you, you wouldn't let me have the interview because you thought I was going to stitch him up, but look what's happened. I think you owe me an apology. And he's clearly yeah, just yeah, sort yeah, of like, exactly. you know, yeah, and living, Yuri Geller's like, <laughs> you could tell, furious. And he's like <laughs> laughing it off, but he's like, uh, yeah. no, no, I don't think I owe you an apology. He's like, I think you do because yeah. like, you know, I, I did make it very clear I'd be respectful of uh, the boundaries <laughs> that this guy wasn't. And so, yeah, it's a brilliant bit of television, as most yeah, Louis Theroux productions are, of course. So I guess we'll be back when we can get Louis Theroux on, Steve. <laughs> pronounce his name correctly when he's on obviously <laughs> uh, just one update on the 10 worst South Londoners list uh, Max Clifford died uh, shivering in a jail cell didn't he he did so there's a spot available actually yeah. no we've got we had other dead people so forget that <laughs> you're keeping your play Max you're still on the list mate <laughs> alright Steve should we say goodbye on that note we should say goodbye we should say goodbye thanks for listening oh you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> Ha <laughs> <laughs>